Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Gospel according to Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Today's message is entitled, Complete in Christ. Complete in Christ. We've been studying for the past month now in the Gospel of Luke, and we find ourselves today in Luke chapter 2, Lord willing, looking at verses 21 through 35. Let's go ahead and begin our reading there in Luke 2, verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Father, I pray this morning, just as Simeon, controlled by the Holy Spirit, Lord, I yield my body, my thoughts, my heart, my mind, my words to you and ask that you would please control me this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak your truth, to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the power of Christ. Lord, I pray for every listener, and if there be any listener here today that does not know Christ as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, I pray today would be their day for salvation. May you be lifted up and made much of here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Complete in Christ. You know, we've come a long ways in our study thus far, and Uh, You recall last week we looked at the birth of Christ and the babe who laid in a manger. And now we find eight days later, 
Joseph and Mary. In keeping with the Word of God, the law of God, they know that as any good Jew would have done, it's time to have the child circumcised. My first point this morning is the completion. The completion. Notice verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child. Now, you'll notice a phrase that's used in today's text. Uh, Three times in the specific verses that we're looking at, but there's a fourth time in which it's used shortly thereafter in the same context of this passage. And it's something that we need to mark, it's something we need to take note of, because it tells us a lot about Mary and Joseph. They no doubt were godly people. He was a godly man, Joseph, a godly woman, Mary. And this is seen in what Luke pins down here. Notice, they did what was according to the law. And if you were a good Jew in that day, you would have done what was according to the law. There were certain things, certain customs that were expected. There were certain practices, certain rituals that every good Jew did. And you notice Luke has given us this picture even from the first verse. We think back of Zacharias. We think back on Elizabeth. We see Mary and Joseph. And now we find Simeon. And soon we'll transition and see a prophetess. But he describes all of these people, and there's one thing that it seems that Luke keeps hitting on, is that these people were godly people. They were set apart. In a day and an age when there was a lot of tradition, a lot of ritualistic practices, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, there was a lot of religion in this time period. A lot of people going through the motions in this time period. But I think Luke hits on the description of the character of these people because it tells you a lot about the heart of these people and their devotion. And so we find that again in, in, in this, and in the fact that he uses four times, according to the law, according to the law, they did what was according to the law. They wanted to please God. They wanted their lives to count. They wanted to be people who honored God with their life. And so, as was custom, as was uh, good practice, the circumcision. Eight days. This was handed down through the law of Moses. In fact, you'll recall it goes back to the time of the Exodus. Um, And and even before we go back that far, flip over just one other chapter. Let's look at uh, verse 1 of uh, chapter 1 and verse 59. You remember John? John the Baptist. Notice verse 59. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No. He shall be called John. Again, this was a practice that was done on the eighth day. Every good Jewish male is going to be circumcised. 
And this comes from Genesis 17. And we notice that the circumcision was a covenant which was given to Abraham. And again, it marks that exodus. You recall the first males born. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis 17. I want to give you the the background of, of the circumcision and why this was such a common practice amongst the Jews. Genesis 17. Begin my reading in verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Mary and Joseph were fulfilling the law, that which was required. A true worshiper of God knew and understood these practices. They knew their origins. They knew about the covenant. By the way, what is this covenant about? It's the promise of God to Abraham. Why circumcision? I mean, couldn't God have said, hey, you know what, just tattoo your kid on the forehead. That'll be sufficient. This will be our covenant, you know. By the way, Abraham wasn't eight days old when he got circumcised. I'm just saying, you know. I'm thinking he probably wished it had been a tattoo on the forehead too. But anyway, here's the thing. Why? Why circumcision? You may recall in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the fall has occurred. And God comes to Adam and Eve, and the serpent asks the woman, What have you done? What's going on here? Let me recap the thoughts there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God is pronouncing the curse upon the serpent. And then he says in verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophetic utterance. This is a prophecy. This is... The promise that one day there will come a Redeemer, a Deliverer, one who will destroy Satan. 
One who will reverse the curse. This is a prophecy of the coming Christ. And notice in that text that it said it will come from her seed. You see, since the fall of man, the curse has been passed on generation after generation. Everyone who is born in this world has been born in sin. We have all fallen. And since Cain and Abel, the first children of Adam and Eve, they've continued to pass the curse on to everyone born. Every one of us in here today are fallen by nature. We carry the same disease our father carries. It's called sin. And because through the seed of man, the curse is passed. Think about it. Why circumcision? It's through procreation. Every man and woman that's born into this world is born dead in their trespasses and sin. And what's going to separate the Savior from the rest of us is, number one, He's not going to be born of a male seed. Hence, Luke's giving us the information that God moved upon Mary. She conceived, not as a result of Joseph and her taking natural relations. No, this is a miracle of God. And it's a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 in that through her seed, the Christ child comes. And he will, and he did, destroy Satan and the power of Satan. Crushed his head. And all Satan could do was bruise his heel. The suffering, the agony upon the cross in the flesh that Jesus endured was the bruising of that heel, if you will. So why circumcision? And again, this look, think about how graphic this is. And I know it's this is probably PG thirteen, so if you've any children, you know, faith, cover your ears. Um, you can ask your mama later what all this means. Uh, but there is a cutting away of the flesh. And This cutting away of the flesh, there's so much symbolism in what is going on here. Not only is this just about a covenant made to Abraham, there's much that is depicted in this. Not just that it's through the seed of man that sin has been passed, and therefore there's a covenant that God's doing a work, and He's going to do a work, and He's going to fulfill His word, and this is going to be a continual reminder. Yes, all that's happening, but there's still there's so much more in this. And I would invite you and encourage you to dig this out and do some study on it because there's so much more we won't hit on in this morning service. But I want us to recognize that through this process, there's a lot to be said.
no doubt. It's a reminder of the pain. I mean, even though the child's eight, eight days old, you want to see a smile go off a child's face, just visit them after this process. There's a lot of pain in sin. There's a lot of pain that's resulted because of sin. And so, uh, again, there's, there's much more that we could, we could spend time on and talk about in, in describing what circumcision, what it is, and explaining what it's about. But just know this, that it hits at the heart of the fall of man. And it speaks to the promises of God. Well, notice also... The conception. Look back in, in Luke two twenty one. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, which by the way, let me stop for a second. Why did Jesus have to be circumcised? I mean, he wasn't born of a male, right? He had no sin. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. So he knew no sin. I mean, this is something that was handed down. Again, it's as a result of the fall of man. And and this is, uh, uh, yes, a covenant, a promise made uh, with Abraham. Well, think about what if Jesus had not been circumcised? What if Mary and Joseph decided, hey, you know what? Our son, he's, he's, he's the God-man. He's God in the flesh, therefore he doesn't need to go through this, this ritual. He doesn't need to go through this process because he doesn't, know any, he doesn't have any sin. Can you imagine what kind of scandal that would have been? I mean, it's bad enough. Mary and Joseph are having to go around and defend the fact that she was with child before the marriage was consummated. It was already scandalous enough that people were already, no doubt, talking. Especially when she had the family get-togethers and she says, Yeah, and you, did I ever tell you the story of, of how I came with child, how, how this happened? Uh, yeah, an angel appeared to me one night and told me that I was going to birth the, uh, the Son of God. Yeah, right, Mary. Sure, we believe that. And so, no doubt there's already enough controversy surrounding this to not go through with such a customary practice. And now think about this. If, and we know He was, Jesus was without sin, to have this done, I mean, He knew no sin. Even in his birth, as an eight-year-old child, he is the suffering servant. You, you talk about a scandal that this is being done upon a child who is the God-child, who's going to grow to be the God-man, who knew no sin. But see, Jesus was here to not do away with the law, 
to fulfill the law. And he needed to fulfill it in every point. Hence the reason we fast forward later and we'll find when, when John the Baptist is to baptize Christ. Jesus reminds him, no, you have to do this because I have to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish it. He came to complete it. He came to fulfill it. And so we see that happening even from the beginning. Notice the conception. It says that his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And again, this is the account that we find in Luke. He's speaking to uh, the angel who appeared to Mary. We know later one appears to Joseph when she's with child. But again, we know that it's not by a man, but by God this conception happened. Now, notice the name Jesus. I mentioned to you last week that this is uh, where we get our word uh, Joshua from. And it depicts, again, the Savior, the Messiah. It's the name given uh, by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. In verse 22, Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. Now here we find something else happening. First off, they've done according to the law and bringing Jesus on day eight to be circumcised in keeping with the law. Now we find that some 33 days later, according to the law, so it'd be a, a almost 40 days at this point, that it's called the day of purification. Let me give you a cross-reference there. You can look in Leviticus or you can listen as I, as I turn there. Um, but in Leviticus... In chapter 12, you'll find the following. Chapter 12, verse 2 says this about the law of purification. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as is the customary impurity, and shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. So when a male child was born, it was customary, 33 days, uh, the law of purification was not allowed to go to the temple, was not allowed to do anything of that nature. Um, And if it was a female child, then it was double that. And so here again, we get an insight. Luke tells us a little bit about who Mary and Joseph are, and keeping accord to, and according to the law, not only with the circumcision, but also in the consecration, the days of purification. And then notice there's also with this mentioned the dedication of the firstborn son. This comes from Exodus. Uh, you can find this in Exodus uh, chapter 13, this practice that they were following and adhering to is found in Exodus 13, verse 2. I'll begin in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, 
Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by the strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. So again, all of these practices that were grounded in the heritage of the Israelites... And anyone who was a true follower of God would have known these things and they practiced these things. And that's why Luke is depicting Mary and Joseph as such people. You know, we also get another glimpse of Mary and Joseph in these passages. You know, one of the things that they would offer in sacrifice in regards to these uh, customs would be a lamb. Or... If you could not afford a lamb, you were poor, then you would offer pigeons or turtle doves. What does the Scripture say about Mary and Joseph? Verse 24, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. See, Mary and Joseph were poor. Now, I believe this is prior to the Magi visiting. And some of you may have already picked up on this. Why doesn't Luke tell us? He's left out two major, major stories in the birth of Jesus, has he not? What has Luke left out? He's left out the warning that came that caused them to flee to Egypt. Remember, they, Herod's going to kill all the firstborn children. And he wipes out all these kids in the area because he he has heard from the Magi there's a king. And King Herod felt threatened. So what does he do in response? He sends out a decree in order to have all the children, probably up to age five, wiped out, killed. And so an angel appears and warns them and they flee to Egypt and live for some period of time. Luke doesn't even mention that. Also... We're not told in this account about those magi, those wise men. Why is that? Well, there are several reasons that you can look and, and, and study to kind of figure out where, where you line up on why. There are good explanations. That's the main thing you need to carry away. There is solid information, reasons why Luke doesn't write this. By the way, it's already been recorded in other accounts too. So God has, in His inspired Word, has preserved the stories and accounts. But I wonder if it has something to do with who Luke's writing to. Who's he writing to? Theophilus, right? And Theophilus is probably a Roman... Dignitary, a Roman representative. Could it be that perhaps, again, think about, think about all this going on during this time period. Think about what's going to happen. Think about what's happening at the time of the writing. There is contention. There's strife. In the synagogues, the good Jews, and I use that one loosely, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, are driven to the point of 
wanting to kill and stone and, and, and they're causing, they're dragging people out in the streets and they're, they're, they're beating them up, they're abusing them because they don't want this message spread. So I wonder if perhaps Theophilus You know, I wonder if there's a, you know, what about this new thing called Christianity on the rise? This Christ child, this, uh, this person. And by the way, Luke pins the entirety and then goes into the book of Acts and records that as well. Chapter, and you look at it almost in two volumes. So I wonder if during all this commotion that's going on, by the way, the Romans would later accuse the Christians of burning Rome. Luke is perhaps pinning an orderly manner, an orderly fashion of what's actually transpired in the life of Christ. There's no need to mention what Herod's done. This letter's going to be circulated and read by others. Heaven forbid somebody speculate that, ah, see, this is is what's going on. There's a lot of problems. Look, people knew this was common knowledge. I don't know the reason. We can only speculate on that. And I encourage you to use sanctified speculation when you do that. But Luke does not write that in this account. So some have said, well, what's the order? What's the timeline here? Eight days he, he, he goes in and, uh, and has the circumcision done. No, I don't think so. I think they came to him. It was common occurrence when a child was circumcised, it was done in the home. So I think this happens in Bethlehem. And then, when they had to, after the days of purification, according to the laws were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem. You see that in the text? So probably 40 days sometime thereabout. Then they traveled from Bethlehem into Jerusalem. Because this is something that had to be done at the temple. They go to offer the sacrifice for purification. You say, well, wait a minute. We'll find a little bit later that they return to Nazareth. If you want to go ahead and peek forward, verse 39, just to stir the pot a little bit. So when they had performed all things according to the law, there's that fourth time it was used, according to the law. So when they performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. Well, I thought they came from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It says they returned to Nazareth. See, guys, listen, let me go ahead and give you a heads up here. These are the kind of things that secular professors love to bring out, and then they twist, and they fill in gaps with unsanctified speculation, and they try to convince you that, see, aha, see, here's one of those contradictions. There's no contradiction here. There's no contradiction here. You see, when you read this text, it's important, again, you're understanding the customs, that you're understanding the, the time period, you're understanding the, the amount of days that transpire in between, and that you don't read into the text a timeline. 
And as you go through this chapter, you'll see that it unfolds. There's no indication because we have left out. Luke has left out the exodus to Egypt and he has left out the Magi visiting. My thinking is, when you can put this with the other Gospels and you look at a timeline, I believe that it's highly likely that they're coming to Jerusalem on the days of purification, that perhaps it was after this that they returned to Bethlehem, that the decree goes out from King Herod, that they scatter shortly after the Magi, and they go into the land of Egypt. And then later they return in presenting uh, into the, uh, to fulfill the rest of the things in accord to the law. Again, just because it unfolds, and we know that this doesn't unfold in a time, in a, and when you read it, you think, bam, bam, bam. When you first read it, you think all this is happening at one snapshot. And when you know the laws, you know it didn't. One's eighth day, one's the fortieth day. So there's no chronological order spelled out here in a specific time frame. So somewhere in here between this verse 21 to verse 39, the Magi and the account of Egypt fit. And again, to find that, you'll need to do a comparative with the other Gospels. But again, there are many uh, explanations in regard to this. There's no need to trip or stumble over such a thing. So what happens? Well, we know that, uh, again, Mary and Joseph being uh, good Jews are wanting to complete the law. Luke goes to a great extent to to, uh, write this and record a description of who these people are. But notice the second point, the consolation. We now introduce this guy named Simeon. What about Simeon? What do we know? It says, well, he was, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. Again, we see Luke describing the character of the players. He's just and he's devout. And notice he's waiting. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. By the way, this consolation of Israel is a, is a messianic title. probably comes from Isaiah's writings. Uh, one such writing would have been found in, in Isaiah 66. Let me give you this description in speaking of the coming Messiah. Um, Isaiah 66 in verses 1 through 11. Listen to this passage. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne. And earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. Which one is that? It's the consolation of Israel. It's the Christ child. On this one will I look. On him who was poor and of contrite spirit, He's speaking to, to, the, to, the, to the Israelites and who trembles at my word. And he goes on and says, um, I'm sorry, I, I have cited the wrong scripture verse.
Isaiah goes on and, and depicts the person of Christ. Notice he says this. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, you brethren who hated you, who cast you out of my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. The sound of the noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I cause, shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. Isaiah 66, 11. So, what is happening? Well, I begin, I believe this is Luke writing of the fulfillment of the consolation. He's talking of Simeon who's waiting. He's been waiting. Do you know how old Simeon is? He makes some of you look like young whippersnappers. This guy's like 113 He's been patiently, patiently waiting for the Messiah. The one that we just read about from Isaiah. That this was coming. This is coming. He's coming. And he's been waiting. He was just. He was devout. He was a true Jew, a true Israelite. Notice what else is used in this depiction about Simeon. Three times it mentions the Holy Spirit. Notice. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Not only was Simeon a just man, a devout man, he was a man that was very much in tune with the Spirit of God. Christian, are we really... Are we in tune with the Spirit of God? Are we in such tune that the Spirit whispers to us we hear what He has to say? The truth of His Word? Simeon was such a just and devout man that he no doubt heard when God spoke to him and said, you will not die till you see the face of the Savior. Simeon took him at his word. He believed God at his word. Just like Abraham believed God at His word. Just like Mary and Joseph believed God and took Him at His word. They did what was according to the law. You see, what you believe results in action. And you see the action of these people's lives. You see that what they're doing, they're not doing out of some ritualistic practice, though there were many in that day that were doing that. Luke depicts these characters differently. And our letters being written. Our lives being written. And God looks not on the outward. God looks upon the heart of man. What letters being written about you? The consolation. It was a custom to have this child dedicated in the temple. 
And notice at this point, and by the way, I, I, um, I don't want you to misunderstand what I was saying earlier. At this point, uh, this is still the babe child. So he came, notice um, this man, Simeon, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in the arms and blessed God and said... And notice this this prayer, this announcement of blessing, this prophetic blessing. That Simeon, holding the babe, says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of by him. This is no ordinary blessing. I mean, think about it. Simeon, no doubt, has offered these prayers up for these babies, baby dedication, many times. But this is different. He knows. He looks and he sees This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. I've waited 113 years. And God has kept His promise. This is the Deliverer. And notice what He says. Verse 30, He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation. One who will redeem His people from their sins. Verse 31, all people which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, not just the Jews, not just the people of of the Abrahamic covenant, not just the Israelites, no, all people. This is salvation to all people. Let me read to you what John Piper has to say in regards to, to this. Simeon. A man, great of faith in God's consolation, sees Jesus and is ready to die in peace. And his peace is not because he is a naive notion that the Messiah will bring only joy and prosperity to his people. He knows that Jesus will be spoken against. Some will fall because of him. His peace is in the assurance that God keeps his word. He has seen the Messiah according to thy word. And somehow, beyond all the conflict to come, salvation will prevail. Isaiah 52, 10 says, The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Simeon says, quote, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all the peoples. What was only implicit in the song of Zechariah, namely that the beneficiaries of God's salvation are not Jews, but also Gentiles. This now becomes explicit in the song of Simeon. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who comes to bring glory to Israel, but the mercy shown to Israel overswells the banks of Israel and brings revelation to all the nations. Isaiah described the mission of the Messiah like this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel 
I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And to Israel, Jesus brings glory. What is the glory that the godly Israelites longed for? Romans 11, 11, Through their, Israel's trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You see, Israel rejects Jesus. And because of that, Paul writes that it's because of that that salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness mean? End quote. In rejecting their Messiah, Israel unwittingly unleashed a tidal wave of grace in the world. Do you hear what Piper says here? In rejecting their Messiah, Israel unwittingly unleashed a tidal wave of grace in the world. But we should not think that God is done with Israel yet. Paul goes on in Romans 11 and says, A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Paul does not mean that every individual Jew will be saved that ever lived. Jesus said the judgment for some Jews in His day would be worse than for Sodom and Gomorrah. And Paul said in Romans 9.3 that his kinsmen were accursed, cut off from Christ. All Israel means the nation as a whole at some future time when Jesus banishes ungodliness from Jacob and forgives their sin. You see, Simeon knew this. That's why he says to Mary, verse 33, and Joseph, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Notice verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That third and last point is the calling, and that's found in verses 33 through 35. You saw how Joseph and Mary marveled. You notice how this child, Simeon says, is destined for the fall and rising. It's it's, it's a stumbling block. He's a stumbling block to those who reject him, but he's a savior to those who receive him. What about verse 35? How heart-wrenching. Can you imagine what it must have been for Mary, the mother of Jesus? Can you imagine what it was like for this mom to watch the Jews reject her son, crucify him, the pain? She must have endured as she watched him upon the cross. Because of the cross, the thoughts of many are revealed. How about you? You know, we see we see the life of Mary and Joseph. They obviously were God-fearing individuals. They wanted their life to count for the glory of God. 
We see Simeon who waited patiently. 113 years of age. And then we we think about what Christ endured on the cross at Calvary. We, We know that even His suffering began as a child and all the all that surrounded, the circumstances that surrounded the birth to the point of His resurrection. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Simeon was right. When he said that this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And that continues even today. How about you? Have you received Christ or have you rejected Him? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take this message this morning. Thank you for giving me the uh, health and the strength to get through uh, today's message. Lord, I pray that uh, the hearts of the listeners would take something. You've promised, Lord, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you to just what was explained in this message, that you keep your word. And Lord, you said in your word that your word would not return void, but it would accomplish that which it went forth to accomplish. And so, Lord, I, I pray believing that today... You are glorified in that your word has been proclaimed. And Lord, I pray that um, if there was anything misspoke, that you would just clear that from our thoughts. But Lord, that we would gravitate to the things that were um, clear, evident, that your truth is just that. It's truth and it's trustworthy and we can believe you at your word. And, And Lord, that there's strong evidence that points to who you are. Thank you for the character of Christ. Someone once said, you don't, you don't judge a religion based upon its followers. You judge it based upon its founder. And when we look at the person of Christ, we see sinless perfection. One who came into this world, born of a virgin, The curse of sin was not upon Him, but yet He became the curse on our behalf because we needed His righteousness. And apart from the righteousness of Christ, I will never see the face of God. I will never enter into the throne room. I will never be able to enjoy the abundant life. I will not be able to inherit eternal life. Lord, I pray in this moment You will search the heart of every listener on this pew. And if there is one single soul here today that has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Nobody looking around, but I ask the saints to be praying in this moment. Perhaps there's somebody here. Perhaps somebody listening via the radio. You be honest before God. Jesus has been a stumbling block. I seem to trip over the truth. It's, It's... I've rejected the Savior. But I see my sin. 
And I know there's no escape from my sin. I know that I've done wrong. I know that I've, I've never kept the law in perfection. I know that I'm a sinner in need of saving. If that's you, I want to encourage you that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That's why Jesus came. He came for you. He came to save, to seek, and to save that which was lost. And if you would by faith today turn from your sin and just call upon the only name given amongst men by which to be saved, the name of Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You see, God keeps His word. Mary and Joseph knew that. Simeon knew that. And I can tell you, you can believe that. Because God still keeps His word. And He promised, Whosoever shall call upon His name shall be saved. I want to ask you to call upon Jesus' name right now where you're at. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He promised He will. Take Him at His word. And by faith today, receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God is doing a work in the heart of those that you are calling. And I pray you do call, Lord, to yourself those that you would have saved. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. May someone repent today and put their faith and trust in Christ alone. If you called upon Christ today, I would love to know about it. Just a little while, I'm going to stand at the back, and as you go out, we're going to shake hands. Don't let Satan steal the joy of this, this moment. If you meant business with God, and you called upon Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you, as you go out and shake my hand, that you'd simply say, Pastor, I took God at His word. That's all you need to say. Pastor, I took God at His word. I don't know what you're talking about. God knows what you're talking about. The Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. We need not be ashamed if we've turned to Christ as our Lord and Savior. Father, thank You for this group. Thank You for Your word. I pray that You go with us now. May the peace of God be with us, upon us. Lead us and guide us. And may we always remember, Lord, to be people of character, that reflect that of Christ. And may we always trust you and take you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen.